And here's an ad from our sponsors. Have you ever heard about Anchor? Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It is free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute the podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Be Fearless podcast. This is episode number 40. And hello, I got somebody here that you you can miss this interview. If, I mean, like, hello, you need to like share with whoever you you um, uh, you're talking you share with your friends. Hello, you cannot miss this interview because this amazing woman, she was born in the UK. OK, United Kingdom for the hello, British. Hello, everybody out there. You you can't you need to come in here. In in her story, my gosh, you're gonna love it. Um, she is a very I for me. She's she's a wealth of knowledge. She's a very wise woman. She is an incredible author. Uh, oh my gosh, what can I say? You and not to mention, like an amazing entrepreneur. So. And she's a coach too. Like, hello, she's everything in a bottle. Like, that's this is your genie in a bottle. Like, she needs to change her tag because she's a genie in a bottle. Let me present to you our guest today, our dear, beautiful, fabulous mermaid, Dawn Bates. I'm sorry if I butcher your name. <laughs> I've been called a lot worse. Don't worry. <laughs> like I hesitated for a second. I was like, "Oh my god, just let me just pronounce this right." <laughs> uh it's it's all good. Hello, and thank you so. What a great intro! Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. So, don't for no pressure. Um, <laughs> for those that doesn't know you and know who you are who is Dom Bates who was she growing up and what was her dream uh well I get asked this quite a lot who am I <laughs> some people will say I'm the fire and your ass where have you gone I'm here I'm here oh, I'm just giving you the spotlight oh <laughs> I don't have a dance routine. <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm just me. I'm Dawn. I am the wake up call you never saw coming. I am the the giggle that uh, will just, just keep you giggling. Yeah, I'm I I'm just me. I I guess some people say I'm oh, international best selling author, but what does that even mean these days? I'm truth slayer, molecule shaker, sailor. <laughs> titan of leadership i have also been called <laughs> i like that 
I'm a machine when it comes to writing. <laughs> Not quite sure I like being called a machine, though, unless it's Johnny Five from Five Alive uh, from Short Circuit. Um, and uh, my dream as a little girl was to live at sea and get paid to read and write books. So I guess that dream has been nailed then, hasn't it, really? Definitely. And you are the best at it because I love it. Like I was telling you backstage that uh i i was like i always uh, love to read um my, the the author's books before i interview them mm. uh, like i don't i don't like to come into an interview it's like going to like i don't know like a speaking engagement and not like review your keynotes like hello like you need to be prepared right mm. so but it was so interesting because I had your book on my on my reel for a while. And I was like, I need to get to this. I need to get to this. And then I was like, okay, tomorrow I was, this was yesterday. Listen, this was yesterday. I was like, okay, tomorrow is our interview. Let me just like knock out this, this book just to make sure that, you know, I, I get, you know, her writing style, know, you know, the way of thinking and all that. Literally, I know I was getting into her story like her personal story and uh, like, oh my gosh, like I read not only her first book, but her second book. I went to bed last night at 3 a.m. Cause I, I, I was like, and, and that was after I purchased the third book and I has, have to restrain myself from keep reading because I was like, I need to wake up and interview this lady tomorrow. I need to be at least, you know, rested. <laughs> But I love, I love your writing style. It was like, I was there with you. As I mm. read your book, I was there with you. And I love that from mm. um Thank you. You are amazing. Um, and I love your story because it's not, it's not like the usual, oh, you know, my life was, what was this? And then I did that. And then this happened. Um, Sorry, did you fall asleep? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, you're you're from the UK, and then mm. you you went into Muslim. Like a lot of people is always asking other people, why don't you get out of Muslim or religion? But you walk into it, and not everybody does that, and that's really eye catching. For that portion of your life is really eye-catching, especially during the time that you came into it, because it was a very controversial time. So, how how was that part of your life? How that form you into, or what is left from that woman into the woman that is in front of me today? It's really interesting that this has come up because I'm actually re-editing those books uh, ready for them to be made into a docu-film. Um, like, I, said, like <laughs> I, I can wait to that to, for that to happen because I don't watch TV. Like, honestly, yeah, yeah. like I don't watch Why TV. Would you do that? I don't sit uh -huh. down. I don't know. But for you, I will pay Netflix. I will pay whatever service, <laughs> service just to watch it because it's that good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it's really interesting because I wrote Friday Bridge ten years ago, um, and I remember about two, three weeks ago, I was asked if you could um, say three words to your former self, what would it be? And then, excuse me, I've just put my foot up and my beads 
that I have around my ankle, being a surfer beach chick, obviously. Um, um, but reading that book, before I would have said buckle up Batesy or buckle up Baldrick is something that I'm kind of known. For those in the UK that know what Baldrick is or who Baldrick is, it's from a character from Blackadder. Um, which is just one of the driest, daftest satirical programs I used to, probably one of the last programs I used to watch. And I haven't watched TV for getting close on 15 years, I'd say. Um, and um, now when I look back, I would say Buckle Up Beautiful because I, going through those books and actually looking at the journey because for me it's my life it's normal for me um and my editor we were having this conversation she goes but what about the culture difference and what about the I'm like but it wasn't any different for me Islam wasn't very any different to what I had growing up and I grew up in a what very white very like it was a far it was a farming village in the middle of England, well, it wasn't in the middle, it was right on the edge of East Anglia. Um, you know, your grandparents went to church in their Sunday best, um, and people only really went to church. Um, that if they weren't old or posh, they only went to church when it was weddings, christenings, and funerals. Um, and as you will have read, my view of religion was well, only posh people and old people. And then I watched the Clampets on the Beverly Hillbillies and the Waltons. And I was like, well, obviously not. In America, everybody loves God because it doesn't matter whether they're posh or whether they're old. You know, Night John Boy, you know, John Boy wasn't old or posh, you know. And Ellie Mae and Granny, they definitely weren't posh. Granny was old, but Ellie Mae wasn't, right? <laughs> so, again, like the whole journey to faith and belief and understanding and it's almost like people were looking like my editor was like but what about the cultural difference what about and I'm like but there wasn't any different like the difference wasn't for me it was just about the natural it was about having a belief in something higher than ourselves um, and I remember uh, I was really stoned one day um, and I remember looking at the veins in my wrist, you know, like the, the veins you have here. And I remember looking at them and then looking at the leaf on the tree and then the roots of the tree and the branches of the tree. And I was like, oh, that's the same. And then I was like, oh, the vein network in our body is the same as the vein network in the trees and the plants and the leaves. And then I was like, oh, that's the same for waterways and how everything then goes to the ocean. and then looking at my love of the the stars and things like that, I was like, well, that's the same for the cosmos. There's a blueprint of life. Well, man obviously didn't make that. You know, man can't even make peace with itself you know, most yeah. of the time. So there's no way that we would, man would be able to create this balance. And then when I looked at all the holy texts, it was like, well, God is within you. In the um, scriptures of the Bible, it says that, you know, God breathed his life into you. Mm -hmm. And in Quran, yeah, it spirit. says that he's yeah. closer to you. Sorry? His spirit. 
his spirit he breathed well it depends on which bible version, or which yeah. version you have he breathed his spirit he breathed life into you and in the quran it says that he is closer to you than your jugular vein it's like well that's inside you you can't get much closer to you than your jugular vein and that pumps life throughout you um so god is within all of us we are all divine and we're all messengers so it's like we used to have these prophets we're all messengers of God. So, so that's quite blasphemous. So for all of those <laughs> no, that are no, just no, like. No, 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 I mean, uh, you're good. Like, uh, like I'll, this is I a no, no God judgment. This is no judgment zone and I don't allow it here. So don't worry. Just be I don't yourself. care if people judge me or not. <laughs> just be yourself. And, and no, I, I, love, I love your answers. <laughs> <laughs> I know, um, but I love your answer. Not many people and... would show up in a bikini in their Daisy Dukes. Yes, <laughs> that was so funny. Uh, I mean, like, anyway, that that's another topic we should talk. Uh, uh, one day I will. I should bring you here and talk about your your time, those twenty one days in 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 reality TV. Uh, oh, I mean, like that was that was something else. But that, I want to focus that, that on was, the yeah. author right now. And okay. um, I know that a lot of the things that you talk is about your experience and um, definitely, you know, finding that divine, that connection, understanding that we all are created by a supreme being is, it's you know, um, definitely important for our um, development, right? Especially when it comes to the mind. But then you make this cross uh, over into Muslim uh, beliefs, into religion, um, thoughts, whatever people want to call it. And then well, you it's go Islam. Live it's like Christianity, but we call it Islam. Christians uh, is the Christian. Uh, well, you have Islam and Muslims, and you have Christianity and Christians. You have Judaism and Jews. So, yeah. So is uh, you made the cross into Islam, and then you go and leave to Egypt, <laughs> and you can choose a better time to go there. Like I mean, like oh. everything was like, um, uh, how can I say that? I'm I'm looking for the word like divine um, timing. <laughs> like your life has not been uh, eventless. Like everything has, like it's all about an event. And then you you couldn't choose a better time to go move into Egypt with your husband and uh, and your family. So tell us about that time. Okay. Well, I want to just uh, be really clear on this uh, for those that are listening, and I don't want to give too much about the books away. Um, but I always knew, um, like for me, the whole thing about becoming a Muslim had got nothing to do with my ex-husband. Uh, I wanted to be a Muslim before I met him, before I'd ever met a Muslim. Um, I actually discovered uh, Islam at school via my religious education teacher. Um, and it wasn't until after Ramo and I had been together several years um, I mean, I met him when I was 18 and we didn't move out to Egypt until I was, how old was Nasser? Nasser was, until I was about 33, I think. So there was a, like a long period of time before we moved to Egypt. 
um, because I said to him before we even got engaged, if we are going to have children together, then we are going to live out in the Arab world. Uh, because there's no way I'm having Arabic children and I and not, not going to live in the Arab world. Absolutely. For me, it's about honoring and respecting. So if it had been I married a Puerto Rican, if I'd have married an Italiano, if I had married a Russian, uh, <laughs> then I would have gone and lived out there, you know. So, mm -hmm. again, it's about but, me embracing the culture so much. But how that experience shaped you as an author? Like, how that influence? Um, I don't think it really influenced me as an author in so much that um, when I when I wrote Friday Bridge when I was out in Egypt, it was because I was sick and fed up with people asking me the same questions. And what's really interesting, and one of the reasons why we're re-editing it, the books and re-releasing them, is because the questions that were being asked 20 years ago are still being asked today. So it's like, okay, we need to re-release these books. We need to get these into a film, docu-series, um, just so that people are aware, people can wake up, because what we're seeing happening it's still happening. Yeah. And it has to stop. People have to get present to this. Um, and it was quite interesting because, like you say, like when we lived in England, my ex-husband and I, we were blamed for the 7-7 bombings because obviously, you know, he had brown skin and we were both Muslims at the time. So we are responsible for all world terrorism. We are responsible for absolutely everything that goes wrong in the world because you know that's what you know he's got a brown face for a start so that's obviously the first indicator that he's the problem um um and you know every drug deal that ever went down in england you know that was down to us as well because he was my pimp or my drug dealer because he was a brown face driving a mercedes and that was obviously just such a really you know that was biggest telltale sign um and I mean, so I'm, I've always ha been I'm laughing like because of the stupidity. I mean, it, it, it is true. It's funny, but it is true. It is true. Mm. That's that's usually, you know, that's the um, the uh, how's it call it the um, the ignorance. Not only ignorance, but the profile that people has picture like mm. if, in if, England before it was the Arabs and the Muslims. If you were Irish and you were called Patrick, you you. You were a terrorist. You were part of the IRA. So, you know. And the th funny thing is you only have to look at Hollywood movies to tell who's going to be the next terrorists. You, we've gone through the Irish. We've gone through the, the Muslims. We've gone through Russians. We've gone through the Koreans. Uh, we're now, we then went through the Iraqis. I don't know who's next. It might be the it, it might be the penguins on Phillip Island in, in just off <laughs> Melbourne. I mean, you never know who's coming next. Who knows? Do you really? Who knows? Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Uh, might I be don't the know. The orcas, you know. It might be. It might be the Eskimos. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you're not allowed to say Eskimos now either, are you? You've got to say Inuits. Um, you know, really. Um, and and the other thing, I think, because I've always been this way. Uh, when we moved out to Egypt and I saw what was going on, <laughs> like <laughs> I was actually going to the museum with the boys on the day that the protest kicked off, like when the upright, I mean, we knew it was going to kick off. We didn't know when. Mm -hmm. um, and we knew that um, things were kicking off in Tunis. Uh, 
Tunisia. Um, so I will probably say Arabic names of places no, that's fine. in Arabic. So we would say Tunis. Um, and we knew that stuff was kicking off because it, like some, I've been going back and forth to Egypt for many years. Um, I spoke some of the language. I love the food. Like, if I want to eat food and I feel like I'm at home, it will be Arabic food. That's just like I remember when I was in Buenos Aires um, a few months back and um, I was just like, oh, I just want to eat food from home. And all I could think of was baba ghanoush, um, hummus and what a renab. Um, I think Do you I guys have um, baklava? Bet betlewa. It's not baklava. It's betlewa. How is how is it pronounced? Betlewa. Bell. Okay, that's a, that's another <laughs> we'll session. Have a, we'll, we'll have an Arabic that's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, so I love was... those. Those are my oh, favorite. They're, they're... If you like those, you will love mango canefa or mango canefa, which we have Aid or like we have like birthdays. Mango canefa. Mm. Oh, canefa. Anyway, we've digressed. If we start on food, I'm just, like, my lunch is ready. Um, and I've said, no, I've got an interview for an hour. We'll have food afterwards. Um, Definitely. And, um, but food is my favorite ingredient. Um, but, um, yeah, no, time out in Egypt was really interesting. And what I found, um, like there was one lady, she lived a couple of buildings down from us on the Corniche on the out of, so you had Tahir and then you'd follow the Corniche and it would lead you out, um, to near where we live. Like so Ma'adi was about three miles out of Tahir and you, you could some, like, uh, you know, the road was all like during the uprising, the roads were empty. And it was like, oh, 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 like the Corniche was always full. I could walk into town quicker than I could drive when wow. like it went when it wasn't uh, protest time. But she this woman, she was from America. Uh, she was from Boston. Um, and she said she did this report for all her Facebook and said, you know, it's a war zone. It's this. And she I was like, Wendy, what the hell are you talking about? No, it's not. Like, we live, we're neighbours. We don't live in a war zone. There are protests in the streets, and yes, there are Molotov cocktails going off, and, you know, the the government are hosing people down, you know, Zionist style, and you've got flyovers in Tahrir, and you've got all these lights. Well, what are you doing? You don't live in a war zone. She was like drama. She wanted dramatic effect. Um, and things were tough. They really were for a lot of people. But just like any um, situation that you have going on in the world, hunger only exists anywhere in the world because mm -hmm. the governments allow it to happen. Yeah. Not because of anything else. If there is hunger in any part of the world, it's because the government in that country are allowing it to happen. Because they're doing all, deals with another country. It's not only the government who allows it, but it's the people who allows it. Because if you are in, in a democratic style government and you select these people no and put them in democracy, what? There's no such thing as democracy. Well, there is a pretense that there is democracy. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, the people is the one that selected these people and placed them up no. there they I, they forget they forget that 
we we are the ones that have the power. That's at least my thought that the people has the power, but yet chooses to stay. How chooses not to take action in order to pressure the government to do what is they're supposed to do. That's how I see it. Okay, I would agree with you to a point because we have to remember that the politicians and the government are civil servants. That means they mm -hmm. are there to serve the civilians. Civil servants mm -hmm. serve the civilians, yes. right? Exactly. Just that in its in of itself. Um, and the reasons why the governments try and control us is because they are afraid of us. You only control something that you are afraid of. Afraid whether of. that is you can control fire or mm -hmm. you can or you're afraid something might happen. So for example, you might put controls in place in your home to protect your children. Exactly. You might put controls in, you know, safety controls like surge protectors, um, because you want to control an electric current. You need so, to control yes, the environment. Yeah. So I agree with you that uh, as a people, we need to wake up and we actually need to start taking action because what we're seeing in the world at the moment, I, I was just like, well, I'm not surprised. I am so not surprised we're seeing what we're seeing with all this tyranny and this terror, this biological terrorism that's going on at the moment and people just going, oh, give me this thing that they're calling a vaccine, which isn't. Um, this genetic modification of human beings and international genocide. Um, and I don't care whether people agree with me or not on that because, you know, I've been seeing this coming for the last 30 years. And it's going to continue because there's an agenda behind it. Of course there is. There's always an agenda. And this thing is like before um, Britain left the Europe, I had said probably about 10 years before, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, this is how good I am at manifesting stuff. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if we left Europe. And someone was like, why would you say that? I said, because Britain has this thing, and this is why I will never return to England. Uh, and people go, why don't you want to go back to England? Your children are there. Your parents are there. I'm like, look, let's be honest. I'm probably never going to see my parents alive again. They, they don't have a passport. They're not going to fly. I don't, know, I don't really want to go back. I really, like, my mum has even joked with me, it'll be over my dead body that you come back to England. I was like, I know, so you better have your urn picked out ready because I just want to pick you up off the pier, take you to sea and chuck you in the water. You know, we can joke about that thing because my parents age. They know I don't like being in England because of the attitudes and the energy that's there. My children... They've told me if I ever go back to England, they're just going to put me on the first boat out again because they know I'm not happy in England. But none of us are going to have this this injection. Um, but in England, they have this word called tolerate. How, what was the word again? The British tolerate people. Tolerate. They don't accept people. And the thing is, it's understanding the distinctions between these words. We tolerate so much. We tolerate abusive bosses. We tolerate abusive governments. We tolerate abusive uh, relationships. We tolerate f foods that abuse us. Now, if we look at what's actually been happening over the last, I think, 30, 40, possibly even, no, probably no more than 40 years, I would say, what we have seen is the governments have been poisoning us and committing corporate manslaughter for the last 30 years. 
Now, they're quite bold statements for someone to make. But when you look at the processed food that people put in their bodies, okay, they, people can't even spell the words, let alone read them and know what they are. But they put them in their body and they go, oh, this tastes nice. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. all that rubbish that they put on that food. My, if my food comes in a plastic bag, I'm like, I'm not eating that. I don't want that. What is that? That's in plastic. Why would I eat that? If it's not come out of the ground, mm -hmm. then I'm not going to eat it. Uh, I mean, we've been poisoned for a while. Well, we have, but look like at what's, what we've said. Well, since the beginning of the 19th century, like we've yeah. been poisoned. Fluoride in our water. We have been fluoride in our toothpaste, which affects our pineal gland. Uh, we have had, you know, and all this. And the thing is, we no one's challenged it. Oh, I don't feel very well. Oh, I'll go to the doctor and I'll get some pharmaceuticals. Then people don't. I mean, I haven't used deodorant in over what four or five years because my body doesn't smell. Because I don't put poisons in my body. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't have sugar. I don't have lactose. I don't have gluten. Uh, so my body doesn't smell. But the thing is, when people's body smells, what do they do? They put deodorant under their arms, which masks the smell, so they can't tell whether their body has got toxins in it or not. Okay, if your body smells, it's because there are toxins in your body. Mm -hmm. If your urine is not clear, it's because there right are toxins. Now, it's because <laughs> there's toxins in there, right? So, and if we've got spots, I mean, I've had, um, there's something that I ate recently, like a few days ago, that had traces of gluten in it. So I came out in a couple spots and I've got congestion behind my nose. I know what I'm eating and what's affecting my body. Okay, and the thing is, people have been eating all this food that's not food. It looks like food. It might taste like food and it may smell like food, but it's not food. It's not food. <laughs> it's not food, right? So because we've allowed that to have, be put into our body and we've willingly gone to work, bought it and put it in our body. And then we've gone back and bought some more and mm -hmm. we're poisoning ourselves slowly and our children. Is there any wonder that the governments have got away with what they're doing today? Because they've gone, well, we've just proven that people aren't bothered about what they're putting in their body. We've just proven but, but that's, that. That's, I'm going to take you back to what I just uh, said at the beginning, that, that mm. we keep allowing them to do this to us. So whatever we're, we're lazy. going through as a culture or as a, um, as, um, a community is because we are allowing it. We're allowing it. We Absolutely, allowing. we're allowing it. <laughs> we're, and the thing is, but people go, oh, but it's all right for you. I'm like, okay, that, first off, is not all right for me. The difference between me and you is that I actually take care to find out what's going on. My mum used to call me a nosy little bugger, right? But the thing is, people are more nosy about what's going on in other people's lives instead of being nosy about what they're putting in their body. <laughs> if you want to be nosy, why do you think I wrote the books I wrote in the way I wrote them? Because I could have written these political books. I could have written books on leadership. I could have written books on culture and religion and drugs and all the other stuff. But very few people would have read them. Mm -hmm. But when you write them about your life, people want to know. Like, what? That's why people like, you know, they're all in each other's business, all on Bookface and Instagram and da 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 
and people go, Dawn, we need to know more about you. We need to see more from you. We need to know more about what's going on in your life. No, you don't. My life is private. I will share elements as a teaching point, but my private life is it's private. Yours. Exactly. No there one even knows where I am apart from private. the three people here. <laughs> there are things that are meant to be private. Absolutely. Um, like your medications yeah. that you're on and the, the things that you're taking. Are we going to be sharing our smear test results next? Maybe we're going to be sharing which hemorrhoid cream we're having. Where does it stop? Seriously. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't care whether you've had the vaccine or not. Just don't come near me with it if you're a man. Because the moment I am choose the guy that I will hopefully spend uh, the rest of my life with. Um, I do want to get married again when I find the right guy. Mm -hmm. But if he's if he has been wearing a mask or he's chosen to have this injection, I don't want him anywhere near me. Nowhere near me. And I tell you what, it's been great for the selection process because all these men are just removing themselves out of the selection process. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, you've been manipulated. You've been brainwashed. You've been injected. So. That has, when you think that over 33 million people in England alone have been injected with the poison, we don't need that anymore. You know, that, if I was looking in England, mm -hmm. then I need a guy who's got his stuff together. Then I need a guy that actually is smart up here and can give me a mindgasm, a soulgasm, as well as an orgasm. That then removes many more men, you know. Yeah. My, there's not that many men out there for me. No, no. And you know what? If I have to remain single for the rest only of my few. life, that's all good. Only a that's few. Good. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, and I love that you have used all your life experiences to write about. Um, and you also have used these experiences to build your um, entrepreneurship. So... Mm. Tell us about that. Tell us about that side of uh, Miss Bate. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I kind of always knew, um, like, when I look back now and I remember sitting um, at the dining room table, like, doing my homework, it was organized like a business. Like, this, I'm doing this because I'm going to get paid this much. And then I used to write out checks to myself. And then I'd write out the paying in slip. Uh, so I'd go to the bank, <laughs> i.e. the kitchen, <laughs> and I would deposit my checks and my paying in slips. And my mum would look at me like, what the hell is she doing? She's lost it. She's been smoking too oh, much of that wacky wacky. Um, how's it called? Visualizing? Visualize. See, I was even doing it like in my teenage years. I had no idea about <laughs> any of this vision boarding. I had no idea about this. Uh, manifestation thing. I was just doing what Dawn yeah. did. I was just doing what I did. Um, and I saw my mom work three jobs, stressed out, tired, uh, more months with, uh, than money at the end. Um, and I was like, I don't want to be like that. And then I was like, okay, well, that was a social conditioning because my mom worked three jobs to keep a roof over my head. Is there any wonder I have lots of clients? because you know they're all a job within themselves so that's what i find quite interesting mm -hmm. um and um but i i it's 
the entrepreneurial I always knew that I would have my own business I didn't know what that business was um and then I was gifted an opportunity whilst working for another guy to I was working for a guy called Ken Haken um and this is why people don't like arguing with me because I remember too much <laughs> and there was a guy called Francis Walker who had a company in the next office room um and Francis was going on holiday for a couple of weeks and needed someone to run his business for him and they chose me I was called into the office I was like oh I've got done so nothing we just want you to run Francis's business while he's away you know I was like oh cool bonus all right then um I'll do that um, but when I'd been working in a hotel, training to be a hotel manager, because my thinking was, if I'm going to learn how to run a business, the best kind of business to run is a hotel. Hospitality and catering management. So that's what I did, the advanced one, obviously. Um, and so I learned how to cook, which was great. Um, and a bit of a side story. I remember there's a bit in the book where in Friday Bridge that you will have read where I'm mentioning the food that my mum my, my massacres the vegetables and how she's getting on a bit. There was actually a woman from New Zealand who read my book um, who was so offended by what I'd said about my mum. Um, and I said to my mum, oh, I've just had this really nasty message from this woman in New Zealand. And she was like, really? I went, yeah. Do you know the jokes that I put in the book about you getting on a bit and you massacring the vegetables? She goes, oh, I laughed at that so much. Uh, I was like, I know, right? Well, she took offence to it. She goes, what? Who stuck a broom up her arse then? <laughs> and I was just like, because the thing is, my mum was the youngest mum. And that's why I joked with her, oh, you're getting on a bit, mum. You know, you're catching up to the other mums, Right. But because I went to catering college, I would come back and I'd go, Mum, you've overcooked the vegetables. They're not al dente. They're not crunchy enough. So that was our little in-joke within the book. And there's a lot of those in-jokes in the book for all the different people that are mentioned in my book um, or books, I should say, because I've got 14 of them out now. Um, so you've got some reading to And do, counting. <laughs> and counting, yeah. <laughs> um, but going back to the whole business thing, um, I'd look at the business models. I'd be like, well, why are they doing it that way? There's got to be a better way, you know. And then I'd be like, you know, I'd be there and I'd be all – and then I'd quickly grow through the ranks and be like, you know what, I kind of – I don't want to work for anybody else. And I always – and I remember saying to my ex-husband a few That's days how I ago. That's right now. Like, I don't want to work with for nobody else. Like, Oh, the thought of working for someone else frightens the life out of me. That's why I have to stay in business. The thought of working for someone else, I like, I, I'm so unemployable. I can't keep my mouth shut for one, um, <laughs> which is a good thing when you're a public figure, I guess, um, because apparently I'm a public figure, which is a bit weird, but, you know, I'm still Dawn. That's all right. Um, but I said to Ramo, um, which is the name of my ex-husband, um, um, what did I say to him? I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. Oh, the first company name, um, because I wanted to know about all the different parts of the business. So I went to a temping agency and I got a contract in each area of the business to figure out how they did it and looked at all the systems. And, you know, so I temped for a bit with the different contracts. And I remember working in this one company uh, when we lived in Oxford. And I remember sitting there and I wrote ABI uh, and I was like that and I put it in a lozenge. 
uh, lozenge shape. And I went home and I said to Ramo, oh, look, this is going to be our logo for our company. He was like, you are? I said, this is the, I said, we're setting up a company. Did I not tell you? <laughs> Did I not tell you? <laughs> that's what we're doing, by the way. I'm your wife and you just say yes, ma'am. Well, I didn't say yes, ma'am. That's a, that's a new thing. I, know, I quite like it when Americans and Canadians say yes, ma'am. But um, that's a very different show for a very different <laughs> conversation. But <laughs> I do like it when the man says so, yes, ma'am. So when it comes to entrepreneurship, <laughs> what would you say is your your interpret your uh, business style? Like, what, what, how how do you describe your business style? Oh, I don't mess about. Uh, like if, if I there's an, like I said, there's an idea. I'm like, this is happening. I don't know how it's going to happen, but like I drew that lozenge, ABI, Aisha Bates International. Well, that was then became Aisha Bates Limited, which has now become DBI, Dawn Bates International, because we're no longer married. But when I go, I'm going to go do this, I go do it. And it's already done. I have no idea how I do it, Dagma. I just do it. I say it's going to happen and it happens. I and love that. It's, it's like, like I figure I figure it out along the way. Let's go to work. Let's make it happen. Yeah. And that's and the thing is, it's like so many people talk about, oh, I'm in business. No, you're not. You're not in business. You've given yourself a job because you want the prestige of saying you've run a you run a business. Unless mm -hmm. your business is making you money while you sleep, you have given yourself a job. Exactly. And I know that the first two to three years, you're probably not making money while you're asleep. I get it. Mm -hmm. I've been mentoring people in business for the last 20 years. Yes, I am that old. I have an 18-year-old son who reminds me of how old I am because, you know, baby steps mummy hasn't ever used Google Earth, but she does know what it is. <laughs> she, they're so rude. They're so cheeky. But, I'm, you know, I, I developed that cheekiness. I encouraged it. <laughs> I taught my children to be encourageable. Um, but the thing is, it's like I've been mentoring people in business and through um, step changes from uh, startups to some of the largest companies in the world that nobody's ever heard of because they are the biggest company behind the big companies, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And when you have worked on, you know, $80 million deals and you have worked on an $8 deal, and you have worked on, you know, an $8,000 deal, you know, from that whole spectrum, you learn about a lot of things and you learn about yourself. You know, what is it like working on an $8 million deal? It's bloody exciting. But I tell you what, if you can't laugh in that boardroom, the moment that contract is signed with the people that are there, don't do business with them. I am never going to do business with someone I do not like. Because when you're in that space where $80 million is on the line or somebody's home is on the line, and this is the thing, this is why I love the way people in the East do it. Um, they do business. They like to get to know you. And they'll do this as well in Latin America, I've noticed. I want to know, like, so the Arabs in the East, uh, Far East and in Latin America, I want to know that I can trust you with my children. If I can trust you with my children, then I can do business with you. Because the thing is, every business deal I do with you impacts my children. 
And if I'm not happy doing business with you and I can't laugh and giggle with you, then I become upset or I don't enjoy my work. And my children are watching. I don't want my children to think that work is boring or work is stressful or work is something that they don't want to do. So why would I do a job or work with people who bring misery into my life or make me go, oh, I've got to work with that person. Oh, I've got to do that job today. Oh, I've got mm-hmm. to. You know, like you can just feel it. I don't exactly. want to set that example to my boys. I'm in a tiki hut in the north of Brazil wearing Daisy Duke hot pant- denim hot pants and a bikini top, right, in the middle of winter. Thank you. It's middle of winter here, believe it or not. <laughs> and I'm doing business. That's and amazing. I love it. It just breaks people. They're like, what? Well, that's not, it's not professional. You're in a bikini. I'm like, yeah, it's really hot. I'm not wearing a suit and tie. But that also shows how people is, we're programmed to believe that that's not business, that you cannot, you know, make money by being comfortable, by being yourself, by just, you know, working the time or managing the time yourself. Um, we, that programming that we must get that nine to five, is, is but being... who gave us that programming? The government. The government. And we allowed Agent it. Agent Smith. And we all obeyed. We all obeyed. And people like me that go, no, I don't want to do what you tell me to do. I don't. Actually, I'm really quite educated. And I'm going to trust the fact that I'm educated. And I'm going to start asking you, Mr. Government, some very smart, very intrusive questions. And you know what? I'm going to invest in the virtual okay, private you're network. A troublemaker. Oh, I love it though. <laughs> I've always been a troublemaker. <laughs> I've always been a rebel, right? <laughs> and this is the thing, though. But when we, my mum, you will have read in Friday Bridge. My mum said, "Oh, just go and ask. Go and have a look in one of your books." Okay, because we had books back then. We didn't have internet. And one of the reasons why I still trust books, um. And why I prefer to have a book rather than an ebook, or rather than to have... You know, I was um, thinking and- about that this morning, and I'm just going to say before you do, it is the fact that at any point in time, they can shut down the database and you have no books. You, they can control then, okay, now you're, you cannot have access to that book that you purchased to have it online. So... Mm-hmm. I wasn't actually going to say that, but you're so true. You're so right. But that's the thing. They can manipulate it. They can, no, but they can. They can, you can write an article and they can go online and they can manipulate the article. You can go, you can, I can change any one of my ebooks at any given moment. Okay. I'm re editing the first three books into four books. So crossing the line is going to become two books. It's still the same, yeah, but because, again, I'm an author strategist. I want to, okay, well, who am I now? What do I know now? How, what am I aware of now? What's going on in the world? How can I make sure these books are still relevant? How can I make sure that these books are still evergreen? How can I make sure these books get into the hands of more and more people? Mm-hmm. How am I marketing these books? Because... Again, if I'm an author, and I want to just mention something about that in a second, 
Um, if I'm an author, a proper author, right, then I want to make sure that my books are selling. I want to make sure that the hours and the money I've invested in promote in publishing this book, having the artwork designed, having the press release paid back and everything else, I've got to invest quite a serious amount of money, time and energy into that. But I've created a product. An author is an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur exactly. creates products and services and author writes books. Okay. So if your book is not making you money every single month, I woke up this morning to really nice payment. Thank you very much. I like this time of the month very much. But how many people are told by PR agencies, write a book, write a book, collect people's email addresses. You know, it's a, it's a landing page. It's a lead magnet. Yeah, it might be. But let's call a spade a spade, shall we? If it's a workbook, call it a workbook. If it's a pamphlet or a PDF, Call it a pamphlet or a PDF. Okay, it still takes a writing skill, but if you're going to write a book, write a book of substance, write a book that actually has impact. Because when you do your book a disservice and you do your story a disservice, mm -hmm. then that makes people like me go, mm, Do I really want to invest six and seven figures with that person who's saying that that five page workbook? or that 10,000-word book of emails or blog posts uh, is their book, if they haven't gone deep enough and they haven't served their own life and their own message properly or deep enough, then I'm not going to be investing six and seven figures with them mm -hmm. because how you are with one thing is how you are with everything. Exactly. If you're going to do a half-assed job on your book, then your products and services are going to be half-assed. Um, it's like my editor, Jenny, um, for the House of Preeminence, um, it's a magazine, like it's the titans of industry. Dun, dun, dun. It's the vogue of feminine high performance. That's what we've been called. And we're like, yeah, that's <laughs> amazing. We're the vogue of feminine high performance. Okay, Dawn might have to go get some more lip gloss. Hang on a second, right? <laughs> a little bit of lip balm doesn't really do it. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but, and she said to me, she goes, you're a serial author, Dawn. I'm like, no, I'm not, Jenny. I'm just an author. She goes, no, 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 no. You're a serial. I was like, no, no, Jenny, I'm an author. We don't call a chef who cooks one meal a serial chef. He's just a chef. A mechanic that fixes more than one car is not called a serial mechanic. I'm an author. I write books. That's my job. Well, it's one of them because I need three jobs to keep a roof over my head. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Psychological programming. Thank you, mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's like I was saying to Amber, who repurposes all of my content and who will want uh, the raw file for this so she can repurpose it all over the place. Right. I have no idea what she does. I'm really not interested in how she does it. I just pay her to do it and it just gets done. Um, you really don't want me messing around with video or audio or graphics. I don't do those kind of things. And the amount of time it takes me to learn, I've already paid someone. Right. But when you are at the point, and I was saying to her, because she wrote a book years ago on motherhood. And I said, why do you still use the term author? because I'm an author. I know you're not. You published a book. 
So, yeah, technically you're an author, but you are also a waitress, but you don't keep waitress as a job description. I don't have paper girl, waitress, head chef, uh, sales administrator, accounts developer, uh, uh, sales trainer, um, business development manager, executive account manager, managing director. I don't have all of those job titles in my LinkedIn or whatever. So why, if you're not doing that job now, do you still hang on to the title author? Ah, because it's prestigious. Mm-hmm. Ah, because it opened doors for you. But you're not writing any books. And you actually didn't write a book in the first place. You just gave your emails to a VA out in Bali somewhere, paid them $5, got them to write it all up for you. And then you did a Canva Chaos job on your artwork. And then you published it as a book on Amazon only in your own country. But what people forget is a lot of people boycott Amazon. And like you said, Dagmar, Amazon can just say, we don't like the content of that book. We're taking it down. What people also don't know about these eBooks and online platforms, I don't just use, I use over 130 publishing platforms for all my clients. And there are a lot of publishers out there that go, how many? I'm like, yeah, you didn't know about those, did you? I did. (laughs) Come to Dawn Bates Publishing. (laughs) Dawn Publishing or Dawn Bates International. um, But the thing is, it's like when you put links in your book, the moment those links change, your book can be stopped from being on sale until you've corrected all the links in your manuscript. But unless you have an author coach or an author strategist and a good publisher, you're not going to know that. Mm-hmm. And this is why they need to come and work with me, really. Seriously. Definitely, because you're amazing. If, there's, if it's not, you, there's you not much also, about books I You don't have know. your publishing and you also coach yeah. authors, right? Mm, I do. What would you say is like, in, this is the last question before we go. What would you say really? is... Is it's the last? Uh, I've only been on five minutes. We are now. <laughs> I mean, for me, I could be here all day because <laughs> you're amazing. I, I love talking to you. Thank you. So, but how how would you say how difficult is for you to kind of like help your your clients make that mind shift uh, into you know being an author? Is it? because you know they all come in with an idea and they all come in with a a a perception of what it is but it's really something else it's not necessary they they necessarily come with in with the right um idea or uh thought train of thought so okay well it depends on um let's just say for example uh, Jake will love me for saying this. Uh, his book's just about to go on sale, and Jake's been going through this journey. Jake was a U.S. Marine. I just coached a U.S. Marine and loved every minute of it. He's a bloody lovely guy as well, um, and he's the fourth one of my clients who were working for someone else um, and then decided that they wanted to become an author. And I said to him, "So when do you quit in your job then?" Because you can't be half pregnant. You can't half do something. You're either pregnant or you're not. 
You're either all in or you're not because you're giving mixed signals to the universe. Mm -hmm. You can't be married and having a look around still. Well, some people do. My ex-husband did, but I've forgiven him, right? But the reason why the marriage didn't work is because he was married and keeping a lookout. Mm -hmm. The reason why your business doesn't work is because you've got one foot in your business and one foot in working for someone else. That's why they don't work. You're either all in or you're not. You're either pregnant or you're not. So that would be the first thing I would say. But with Jake, he um, he came to me with this idea for, for a book. I mean, I'm not publishing that. That's not having my fire on its spine. Because I'll but I but I, I like but I'm like Jake. If you're going to work with me, you're going to man up, you're going to marine up, and you're going to dad up. And we're going to write a book that is worthy. Of a legacy for your children. Okay. I love it. So this is the thing. I am not for the faint-hearted. That there are probably people that have kind of got. Oh, she's a bit too much. She's a bit in your face. She's a bit too lively. She's a bit too opinionated. I don't care. You're not paying me to be nice to you. You're paying me to share my experience with you, my knowledge with you, my wisdom with you, and my strategies. And you know, you can't be in business for 22 years and create the results in life that I've created if you don't you're not honest with yourself and those you work with my first clients my very first business was still with me 12 years later my first client was my last client so you've got to be all in you've got to allow yourself to be coached and you've got to actually do the work and you've got to believe that you can do it absolutely (laughs) and you know when I said to him when are you going to quit your job uh, his book is launching here in June. And he goes, oh, probably September. Right, Nana, you're going to quit your job by the end of June. What happened last week? The company's been bought out by another company. And so he's lost his job. I was like, well, there you go. There was and a he, love nudge from He doesn't have a job now. <laughs> he worked for himself. <laughs> Absolutely. But the thing is, that's happened to four of my clients every time I ask them that question. So if you're not ready to work for yourself, don't come to me because I'm going to ask you, when are you going to work for yourself? And then the universe is going to make it happen. Maybe I should sign up today. Who knows? Yes, you should. Let's have a call after this. But you've got to be willing to ask for it. Exactly. If you don't ask, you don't get. That's you right. Know, I would love to work with you. Absolutely, I would. Right? I think we're going to have a lot of giggles. But the thing is, is you've got to go all in. And it also depends when people come and work with me. What entrepreneurial skills have they got? Okay. What business experience have they got? Because sometimes it's not just about me helping, uh, helping them get present to their story. It's about me helping them get present to all the skills that they've got and actually who they are. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, there's no point me going, oh, I teach people how to run a business. If they're coming to me and they've been having, a, you know, an eight-figure turnover business, but they've actually gone, you know what, like the people who join me for my uh, authority mastermind, these people are already successful and influential. Um, and in their own way, whatever that looks like for them, but they're using it to use their success and their influence to give a voice to a social justice uh, mission. For a purpose. For a purpose. Because being an author means you're an authority on something. And that's why I have an issue with people doing half-assed books. Because if your book 
doesn't make you an authority on something and doesn't have the substance that makes you an authority. And let's not like, sorry, there's a spider on my leg. Uh, <laughs> um, but if you're, if you don't become an authority on something, which means you can talk about it at a drop of a hat and reel off figures and da 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 da, unless you know your subject inside out, then really, are you an authority? And are you giving a voice to the voiceless or are you giving cohesion to so many voices so that that though many voices become a very powerful voice? And are we changing the world together? Because if we're not changing the world, exactly. why are we even here? Exactly. Well, I let me tell you something. I love chatting with you. I think that we have a lot more to talk about but obviously we're running out of time now before we go number one any last words to our audience what would just tell them if they're like thinking about becoming an author um what is two top tips they will tell them uh just to move forward with with their their plans oh i'll give them three okay three okay First one, never listen to someone who hasn't written a book. That would be the first. The second one, if you really want to do it and you want to do it properly, draw the outline and figure out why you want to write the book. And then third, send me an email, hello at dawnbates.com or go to my website, dawnbates.com. <laughs> Let me put that here. Uh, I actually have a seven-week author course. I have a five-day author challenge, and I have my one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, and for those of you who are ready to uh, go all in for nine months on my authority mastermind, seven modules, each with seven topics, working with me and six global leaders, and then the eighth month is what I call the aftershock aftercare. <laughs> <laughs> And, and then the ninth they can month contact is the publishing. And Instagram, yeah. right? Yep, they can contact me via Instagram. Come follow me over there. Come and have some fun. Uh, it's not just loads of quotes. It's not just loads of like uh, booty shots and things. My boys don't want to see their mum's backside on Instagram. I don't want to see my own ass on Instagram. Uh, not happening. I have children. Um, <laughs> let's be respectful, people. <laughs> <laughs> there's loads of free coaching on all of my platforms they may look like long posts but they are they've all got gold coaching within there, them. there's good content i have i have taken a look so um thank you don for your time thank you for being thank you here for inviting me i i loved it and i definitely would love to have you uh as many times as you like my platform is open to you. Thank well, you. Well, people, today, lovely. thank you. Um, today has been an amazing interview. I think you're the longest episode that I have had so far. But I, love, it. Um, up, love, I love your story. <laughs> you guys, you need to buy her books. You need to buy her books because it, it is her writing style. I mean, more than his sto her story is... Her writing style, the voice is, is how you, I mean, when you read the book, you're definitely going to feel like if you're walking through every step of the way with her. And I love, I love that from an author. 
Um, so you need to get her books. I only on book three within 24 hours. So that should tell you something. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for watching us today. Please don't forget to share, share, share. Don't forget to subscribe and to follow us into our social media platforms. And we are Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. So until the next time, and don't forget to unlock your potential and be fearless. Bye, Don. Ciao, ciao, everybody.